The following program is intended for mature audiences. Welcome to Rudy's Revelation. Finding revelation in the news and meaning in media. It's Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. Today I'll be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where CBS News' Mark Strassman scares us with a report on nationwide surge in COVID-19 cases, as we hear from former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, who says hospitals should be able to handle the surge. I'll also be checking in on Sunday morning propaganda at our former favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning. We're on the show today, which is dedicated to food. Could have been devoid of propaganda, but instead are subject to race baiting by journalist Mark Whitaker, who mixes U.S. slave history with food history in a segment with author Chef Marcus Samuelson, and in a report by Luke Burbank, who mixes historical xenophobia into a segment about the history of Chinese food in America. We'll also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. And of course, I'll be going over the weekend headlines, all in the next 30 minutes or so. First, I'll be taking you back to school. Giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narratives. The word of the day is behaviorism. A school of psychology that takes the objective evidence of behavior as the only concern of his research and the only basis of its theory without reference to conscious experience. We'll also be looking at operant conditioning. Conditioning in which the desired behavior or increasingly closer approximations to it are followed by a rewarding or reinforcing stimulus. One of the most famous behaviorists was B.F. Skinner, and B.F. Skinner coined operant conditioning. Operant conditioning is sometimes referred to as instrumental conditioning, is a method of learning that occurs through rewards and punishments for behavior. Though operant conditioning, an individual makes an association between a particular behavior and a consequence. By the 1920s, John B. Watson had left academic psychology and other behaviorists were becoming influential, proposing new forms of learning other than classical conditioning. Based the most important on these was B.F. Skinner. Skinner's views were slightly less extreme than those of Watson. Skinner believed that we do have such a thing as a mind, but that it is simply more productive to study observable behavior rather than internal mental events. And the reason I get into this is because conditioning 
is another word for mind control. It's influence, it's manipulation. Although there are different forms of mind control, including trauma-based mind control, and of course there's neuro-linguistic programming, other programming, and other behavior modifications. But in the early 19th century, mind control was known as conditioning or programming. What is operant conditioning and how does it work? How reinforcement and punishment modify behavior? Operant conditioning, sometimes referred to as instrumental conditioning, is a method of learning that employs rewards and punishments for behavior. Though operant conditioning and association is made between a behavior and a consequence, whether negative or positive for that behavior. How to use operant conditioning to enhance digital marketing. So most of these mind control techniques are used in advertising. But the father of behavioralism, B.F. Skinner, was an American psychologist, behaviorist, author, inventor, and social philosopher. He was a professor of psychology at Harvard University from 1958 to his retirement in 1974. Considering free, and this is the problem with behaviorists, considering free will to be an illusion, Skinner saw human action as dependent on consequences of previous actions, a theory that he would articulate as principle of reinforcement. If the consequence to an action are bad, there is a high chance the action will not be repeated. If the consequences are good, the probability of the action being repeated becomes stronger. Who was B.F. Skinner? B.F. Skinner was a Harvard-trained psychologist and writer whose works revolutionized the field of psychology and led to an understanding of human motivations and behaviors that are changed how society views everything from prisons to child-rearing. Behaviorists became a big influence on child-rearing because if you can manipulate adults, you can certainly easily manipulate children. B.F. Skinner behaviorism theory explained. B.F. Skinner believed that the mind was important. He felt that the behavior could be observed so that the reactions could be studied in its complexity. In the 1920s, classical conditioning was the emphasis of behaviorism theory, but B.F. Skinner felt like the answers provided were too simplistic. This led him to develop a theory on operant conditioning. Operant conditioning is an intentional action that affects the surrounding environment or society. B.F. Skinner behaviorism theory looks to identify the actions that are taken to identify what some operant behaviors are more common than others. The three types of responses in the B.F. Skinner behaviorism theory, neutral, these responses would not increase or decrease the probability of the behavior being repeated, reinforcers, this type of response would increase the likelihood of repetitive behavior, a reinforcer can be positive or negative to encourage the repetitive response. And punishers. This response that would be decrease the likelihood of behavior being repeated. The goal of punishment is to weaken the behavior so it becomes less desirable in the future. PositiveParentingAlly.com, B.F. Skinner biography theories and books, father of radical behaviorism. And then Snopes disproved B.F. Skinner raised his daughter in a Skinner box. Now basically a Skinner box was an experimental cage where stimulus was applied to the operant. They say false. He did not raise his daughter in a Skinner box, an experiment 
with behavior on his daughter, but he did do it to animals. Now, basically, radical behavioralism was pioneered by B.F. Skinner in his philosophy of the science of behavior. It refers to the philosophy behind behavior analysis and is to be distinguished from the methodological behaviorism which has an intense emphasis on observable behaviors, but its inclusion of thinking, feeling, and other private events, and then the analysis of human and animal psychology. The research in behavior analysis is called the experimental analysis of behavior, and the application of this field is called applied behavior analysis, which was originally termed behavior modification. And there it is, behavior modification or mind control. And the behaviors don't believe you have uh, free will to make your own decisions. And that the logical brain is a myth. And that most people just react to stimuli. Here's an article by Gizmodo. Why B.F. Skinner may have been the most dangerous psychologist ever. B.F. Skinner gave us concepts like conditioned behavior, positive reinforcement, and even timeouts for children. But he was also a radical among psychologists who cast aside notions of dignity and free will. Here's why Skinner continues to be relevant and even a bit dangerous. Now, I'm not going to go into this story by Gizmodo, but we're going to move on. From psychology today, why operant conditioning went wrong, why did Skinner's innovations stall? Well, a lot of the people, um, the experts in the field realized that after a while, the conditioning of the stimulus eventually wears off. The operant will become, or the individual being tested or modified, will eventually get used to the stimuli, and it won't have as much of the desired effect. Now, to bring things up to the present, this is a, a paper, Fifty Shades of Manipulation by Cass Sunstein. Harvard Law School, Harvard University, and this was from 2015. A statement or action can be said to be manipulative if it does not significantly engage or appeal to the person's capacity for reflective and deliberative choice. One problem with manipulation, thus understood, is that it fails to respect people's autonomy and is an affront to their dignity. Because Cass Sunstein developed what is called nudge theory. Him and Richard Thaler wrote a book, Nudge, and this was in 2008, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Nudge is a concept in behavioral economics, political theory, and behavioral sciences, which proposes positive reinforcement and indirect suggestions of a way to influence the behavior and decision-making of groups or individuals. Nudging contrasts with other ways to achieve compliance, such as education, legislation, or enforcement. The nudge concept was popularized in the book. American scholars at the University of Chicago, behavioral economist Richard Thaler, and legal scholar Cass Sunstein. It was influenced British and American politicians. Several nudge units exist around the world at the national level. It is disputed whether nudge theory is a recent novel development in behavioral economics or merely a new term for one of the many methods of influencing behavior investigated in the science of behavioral analysis. Again, it's mind control. It's trying to get people to do what they're not logically contemplating. What is nudging? 
This is what from Behavioral Science and Policy Association. Of course, these are behaviorists. Over the past four decades, advances in behavioral sciences have revealed how human behavior and decision-making is bound, boundly rational, systematically biased, and strongly habitual, owing to the interplay of psychological forces with what ought to be, from the perspective of rationality, irrelevant features of complex decision-making contexts. So there you go. Cast Sunstein and the Nudge Theory, more mind control for you to chew on. Now, Cass Sunstein came across the Nudge Theory as it applied to libertarian paternalism. And libertarian paternalism is the idea that is both possible and legitimate for private and public institutions to affect behavior while also respecting freedom of choice, as well as the implementation of that idea. The term was coined by behavioral economist Richard Thaler and legal scholar Cass Sunstein in 2003 in an article, American Economic Review. The authors further elaborated upon their idea in a more depth article published in the University of Chicago Law Review that same year. They proposed that libertarian paternalism is paternalism in the sense that it tries to influence choices in a way that will make choosers better off as judged by themselves. So if there's a positive outcome, you could say, well, your mind control or behavior control was achieved an end that was good for you, so it doesn't matter that people were trying to unduly influence you. Concept of paternalism specifically requires a restriction of choice. It is libertarian in the sense that it aims to ensure that people should be free to opt out of specific arrangements if they choose to do so. The possibilities to opt out is said to preserve freedom of choice. Thaler and Sunstein published Nudge, a book-length defense of this political doctrine in 2008. So basically they're saying, and many of you might have come across um, a while back, that if you order from Amazon, they automatically signed you up for Amazon Prime. Uh, you would have to untick the box when you purchase to get out of that. That is Nudge. Basically, they're doing something to you. A lot of times they don't leave out the choice. They restrict the choices. Less than 3% of you people read books. So we're going over to the Rudy's Revelation Book Club. And of course, we are going to recommend Nudge, the book by Thaler and Sunstein. Um, you should read it. It basically, it legitimizes this idea that if you nudge people in certain directions, um, that it's fair game to modify people's behavior, uh, with or without, whether or not they're willing or unwilling. The other book we're going to recommend today is about behaviorism, and this is by B.F. Skinner from 1976. The basic book about the controversial philosophy known as behaviorism, written by its leading exponent. And then a couple more here, um, which is really telling about B.F. Skinner, Beyond Freedom and Dignity, which was uh, quoted quite a bit already. Um, that's the whole point of behaviorism, is that um, they disavow freedom and dignity to make it moral to influence your behavior. In this profound and profoundly controversial work, a landmark of the 20th century, 
thought originally published in 1971, Skinner makes his definitive statement about humankind and society, insisting that the problems of the world today can be solved only by dealing much more effectively with human behavior. Skinner argues that our traditional concepts of freedom and dignity must be sharply revised. They have played an important historical role in our struggle against many kinds of tyranny, he acknowledges, but they are now responsible for the futile defense of a presumed free and autonomous individual. I shouldn't need to go on. And there's another book you should uh, look into here, The Manipulated Mind, Brainwashing, Conditioning, and Indoctrination. This is a 2017 paperback written by Denise Wynn. This book, The Manipulated Mind, by breaking down so-called brainwashing to its individual elements, shows how social conditioning, need for approval, emotional dependency, and much else that we are unaware of prevent us from being as self-directed as we think, and conversely, which human traits makes up, make us the least susceptible to subtle influence. We're getting into the news of the week. How the U.S. military buys location data from ordinary apps. The U.S. military is buying the granular movement data of people around the world harvested from innocuous-seeming apps Motherboard has learned. This is from Summit News, Paul Watson's site. Forced vaccination law in Denmark abandoned after public protests. Now, I couldn't find any mainstream coverage of this, even though it was a big deal. Nine straight days of protests against the new law. It has now been scrapped. Last week, we highlighted on both Ticketmaster and airline companies are considering barring people from entering venues and flying if they cannot prove they have taken the vaccine. Everybody knows that this is coming. Uh, they're public protests against a vaccine because first they're going to uh, condition you with testing regimes and then the vaccine regime will come in and replace the testing regimes. This is from Bloomberg News, the secret club for billionaires who care about climate change. Creo Syndicate helps the world's richest families invest in businesses fighting global warming. From USA Today, 2020 America is still vulnerable to the dangers George Washington warned of in 1797. Some are subverting the institutions Washington helped create to undermine confidence in the vote and invalidate Joe Biden's win. They won't succeed. We Americans traditionally celebrate the birth of our democracy on January on July 4th, commemorating the day in 1776 when the founders signed the Declaration of Independence. This document was a remarkable assertion of the primacy of the people over their government for the first time in recorded history. Indeed. Arguably, though, the United States' future as a democratic republic was only cemented much later, on March 4, 1797, when John Adams was sworn in as George Washington's successor. Some founders, including Alexander Hamilton, did not want to limit presidential tenure, and Washington could have stayed on. Instead, he made a decision to decline a third term and return home to Mount Vernon. Actually, they wanted to make Washington king, which was strange enough. But that's not, they're trying to draw a parallel between um, uh, that instance and Trump now not wanting to leave the White House. 
Went on to the New York Times, uh, the coronavirus is airborne indoors. Why are we still scrubbing surfaces? Scientists who initially warned us about contaminated surfaces now say that the virus spreads primarily through inhaled droplets and that there's no little to no evidence that deep cleaning mitigates the threat indoors. At Hong Kong's deserted airport, cleaning crews constantly spray baggage, trolleys, elevator buttons, and check-in counters. What they're basically saying is um, that that sort of transmission is not one of the leading vectors. However, they mischaracterize the coronavirus is not airborne. When pathogens are referred to as being airborne, that means that the pathogen can live outside of the body for extended periods and is small enough to be carried in a stream of air. So this kind of transmission uh, by picking it up from surfaces is considered fomite transmission. And early on, they already knew that fomite transmission is an unlikely vector for a, uh, a lung disease, which is basically you need to inhale it really to contract it. And it's got to be in certain concentrations. Right from the London Independent, Human aging reversed in Holy Grail studies, scientists say. Scientists claim to have successfully reversed the biological aging process in a group of elderly adults. In a first-of-its-kind study, researchers from Tel Aviv University and the Shamir Medical Center used a form of oxygen therapy to reverse two key indicators of biological aging, telomere length and senescent cell accumulation. From the Miami Herald, this prosecutor tried to put Epstein away for decades. Powerful men maneuvered to stop her. When Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty in state court in 2008 to two sex solicitation charges, which came with an 18-month sentence but avoided tougher federal sex crimes charges as part of a deal with the feds, colleagues of the federal prosecutor who had led the investigation flooded her with congratulations. But Anne-Marie... Villa Fauna was in no mood to celebrate. According to a look-back report from the Justice Department's Office of Professional Responsibility, a summary of the report was issued last week. The fuller document provided to members of Congress who requested the inquiry was obtained by Miami Herald and its parent company, McClatchy. In the end, Epstein served only 13 months, not 18, and not in a jail, but in a cushier confines of the Palm Beach County Stockade. From the Federalist, in Nevada, a corrupt cash-for-vote scheme is hiding in plain sight. In tribal areas, Native American nonprofits illegally offered gift cards, electronics, and other prizes in an effort to get out the vote for Joe Biden. And this is an article from John Daniel Davidson. It should surprise no one that Nevada has problems with election security and voter fraud, especially after the state mailed an absentee ballot to every registered voter this year, whether he requested one or not then received back more than eight times as many mail-in ballots as they did in 2016. That's part of the reason Republicans in Nevada filed another lawsuit last Tuesday alleging widespread voter fraud and irregularities. Kissinger warns Biden of U.S.-China catastrophe on the scale of World War I. So what does this war criminal have to say? 
Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger said the incoming Biden administration should move quickly to restore lines of communication with China that frayed during the Trump years of or risk a crisis that could escalate into a military conflict. America and China are now drifting increasingly toward confrontation and they're conducting their diplomacy in a conf- confrontational way, the 97-year-old Kissinger said in an interview. The danger is that some crisis will occur that will go beyond rhetoric into actual military conflict. Well, if many of you don't know, it was Kissinger and Nixon who opened up China to Western business and told them what the deal would be. And the deal is coming to fruition. It was Trump that actually threw a wrench into the works for Kissinger and for others like him uh, that want to use China as an authoritarian experiment and as a slave factory for manufacture of goods. From Business Insider... Kids as young as 11 years old would be able to consent to vaccinations under a new bill proposed in Washington, D.C. Now, this is really a little chilling. A bill passed in Washington, D.C. could allow children as young as 11 years old to get recommended vaccinations without permission from their parents or legal guardians. The Minor Consent Vaccinations Amendment Bill passed in D.C. Council by a vote to 12 to 1. It says if the doctor determines that a minor is capable of meeting the informed consent standard, then they could get government-recommended inoculations like the HPV vaccine, even if their parents object to it for religious reasons. Next story. Kyle Rittenhouse makes bail, released from Kenosha Jail. Now, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, was a young man who um, ended up shooting three people and killing two. Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenage suspected shooter accused of killing two people and wounding a third during the riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin, was released from jail Friday on $2 million bail. The 17-year-old left the Kenosha jail around 2 p.m. after his attorneys posted bond. Most of that bond was raised um, online. Money was raised through a fundraising effort initiated by Rittenhouse's defense team. From the Washington Examiner, China will replace concentration camps with high-tech oppression, U.S. diplomat warns. Chinese officials are developing high-tech mechanisms to monitor and suppress religious believers as an alternative to physical detention camps, according to a senior United States diplomat. The big one that really concerns me is their use of advanced technologies. Ambassador Sam Brownback, the State Department's lead official for international religious liberty issues, told the Washington Examiner. So they'll have less people locked up probably in the future, but more people under oppression by uses of cameras and artificial intelligence and the dreaded social credit systems. From CBS Three in Philly, robot teacher a big hit for Temple University students during COVID-19 era. And many of the people have seen this already, what it is basically an iPad on wheels that, that goes around. From the Daily Mail, Iran fires up advanced uranium centrifuges installed at Natan's site. A day after it emerged, Trump had asked for options on attacking the facility. 
Tehran is pumping nuclear fuel into a high-tech IR-2M machines in contravention of an international deal to only use first-generation machines. Tearing into the New York Times now. This is from the business section. How Steve Bannon and a Chinese billionaire created a right-wing coronavirus media sensation. Now, the New York Times had had a similar article earlier in the week, uh, but they fleshed this one out more and uh, put it in the, the lead for the business section. Increasingly allied, the American far right and members of the Chinese diaspora tapped into social media to give Hong Kong researcher a vast audience for peddling unsubstantiated pandemic claims. Well, it sounds like the unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud by Amy Quinn, Vivian Wang, and Danny Hakem. Dr. Ling Meng Yang wanted to remain anonymous. It was mid-January, and Dr. Yan, a researcher in Hong Kong, had been hearing rumors about dangerous new virus in the mainland that the government was playing down. Terrified for her personal safety and career, she reached out to her favorite Chinese YouTube host, known for criticizing the government. Within days, the host was telling his 100,000 followers that the coronavirus had been deliberately released by the Chinese Communist Party. He wouldn't name the whistleblower, he said, because officials could make that person disappear. By September, Dr. Yang had abandoned caution. She appeared in the United States on Fox News, that was the Tucker Carlson show, making the, again, unsubstantiated claim to millions that the coronavirus was a bioweapon manufactured by China. Overnight, Dr. Yang became a right-wing media sensation with top advisors to President Trump and conservative pundits hailing her as a hero. Nearly as quickly, her interview was labeled on social media as containing false information. While scientists rejected her research as polemic dressed up in jargon, her evolution was a product of a collaboration between two separate but increasingly allied groups that peddled misinformation, a small but active corner of the Chinese diaspora and the highly influential far right in the United States. Here's a problem with this, folks. Um, they, in this article, they do not show any evidence that what she's claiming is wrong. And that they're constantly going after people that put up the idea that this could be a bioweapon manufactured uh, in some sort of gain-of-function research. And just so people don't freak out, they have done gain-of-function research on coronaviruses in this country. And that they were paying, the NIH was paying the Wuhan lab, the laboratory of virology, millions of dollars to continue the gain-of-function research on coronaviruses until President Trump put a stop to the PREDICT program in September of 2019. Funny thing is, shortly after that, the virus began to appear. Because nobody talks about what the virus looks like, how, how, it, how it's actually constructed, and that it is a chim chimeric virus, the same type of virus they were studying at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And that it's a chimeric virus, it's a two different types of viruses, or many viruses put together, and they're even what are called uh, furin-like cleavages in the protein 
pathogens that are um, built or changed with CRISPR have a more likelihood of mutation. New York Times, how Hispanic voters swung Miami right. Many expected that the liberal young Hispanic voters would propel a democratic wave, but Miami, a city where Hispanicers hold the levels of power, confounded expectations. Why do you think that is? By Patricia Mazel. Six days after the inauguration in 2017, Ms. Jimenez became the first big city leader in the country to reverse the country's de facto status as a sanctuary for undocumented immigrants. Critics said that he had kowtowed to Mr. Trump and turned his back on the country with the second highest number of immigrants in the nation after Los Angeles. His remarkable political evolution married a broader shift in Miami-Dade where 58% of his electorate is Hispanic and Mr. Trump made huge inroads from 2016 to 2020. Hundreds of thousands more people voted for him this year and though he still lost the county to Joe Biden... He improved his margin over 2016. Again, they're mischaracterizing the appeal of Trump and why Trump would appeal to Latinos or anybody, really. Why are states imposing curfews? States and city leaders are trying to slow the spread of the coronavirus without full lockdowns, but whether curfews will help remains unclear. Of course, they they won't. It's um, just a beta test of martial law-like tactics to see what people will do. So before they tried, they tried to give, put you in house arrest or quarantine, um, and now they're trying curfews. I mean, that's it's martial law. Duty or party, question mark, for Republicans, a test of whether to enable Trump and pushing his false claims, again, it's all characterized as false, unsubstantiated claims to the limits of cowing Republicans into acquiescence or silence. President Trump has revealed the fragility of the electoral system and shaken it. For the next three weeks, the integrity of the American democracy isn't in the hands of the people like Norman D. Schinkel, a proud Michigan who has until recently served in relative obscurity on the state board that certifies vote results. But now Mr. Schinkel vote faces a choice born from the national election turmoil created by Mr. Trump, his preferred candidate, for whom he sang the national anthem at a campaign rally in Lansing last month. He said he receives hundreds of phone calls, emails, and text messages from people for or against certifying you can't make up your mind before you get all the facts, he said. You need to be have proof, but the proof has to be, um, the proof isn't for the media. The proof is for a court of law, So, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. For California governor, the coronavirus message is do as I say, not as I dine. Many of you have heard about this. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, was eating when a large group at the French Laundry, uh, um, Fancy restaurant there in California. This uh, article by Thomas Fuller. It was an intimate meal in a wood-paneled private dining room in one of California's most exclusive restaurants. No one around the t table wore masks. Not the lobbyists, not even the governor. Photos that surfaced uh, this week 
of the dinner of the French Laundry, a temple of hot cuisine in Napa Valley where some price-fixed meals go for $450 per person have outraged has sparked outrage in a state where Democratic leaders have repeatedly admonished citizens to be extra vigilant amidst the biggest spikes in infections since the pandemic began. Uh, there's not... And I couldn't, I couldn't resist this. This is the New York Times Magazine. Um, individual one. Donald Trump's potential criminal liability is the key to understanding his presidency. And when he leaves office, will present the country with a historic dilemma. Like, they're going to keep him from running in 2024 by trying to prosecute him. On what, I don't know. Everybody says he's a big liar and criminal. I've yet to see evidence. If anybody wants to let me know what the evidence is, like, detailed evidence. Like, whether you're a journalist or you're just a person, you could get some stories that outline why he's racist and then he's a criminal. You just can't say he's a criminal and... We always end up in the Sunday Review. Is when the world seems like one big conspiracy. Understanding the structure of global cabal theories can shed light on their allure and their inherent falsehood. Now, this is Yuval Harari. Conspiracy theories come in all shapes and sizes, but perhaps the most common form is the global cabal theory. Silly. Why would someone think there's a global cabal of wealthy elites... I don't, why would that World Economic Forum in Davos or maybe the Bilderberg Group or Bretton Woods Agreement? Or I mean, this is just so naive. <laughs> A recent survey of 26,000 people in 25 countries asked the respondents whether they believe that there is a single group of people who secretly control events and rule the world together. 37% of Americans replied that it is definitely or probably true. So did 45% of Italians, 55% of Spaniards, and 78% of Nigerians. Nigerians are really awake in terms of the global conspiracy. Like socialism wasn't a conspiracy. The spread of socialism wasn't a conspiracy. Conspiracy theories, of course, weren't invented by QAnon. They've been around for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Some of them have even had a huge impact on history. Take Nazism, for example. Do we have to? We normally do not think about Nazism as a conspiracy theory since it managed to take over the entire country, an, an entire country, just one, and launch World War II. We usually consider Nazism an ideology, I'll bet an evil one. At its heart, Nazism was a global cabal theory based on its anti-Semitic lie. A cabal of Jewish financiers secretly dominates the world and are plotting to destroy the Aryan race. They engineered the Bolshevik Revolution. Well, that's true, but they mischaracterize it. But at the heart, Nazism was a global cabal theory based on this anti-Semitic lie. A cabal of Jewish financiers Circularly dominates the world and are planning to destroy the Aryan race. Well, if you just take out Jewish, a cabal of financiers secretly dominates the world and just stop there, that might be right. They engineered the Bolshevik Revolution. That's correct. Run Western democracies uh, to some degree through corporate lobbying and... Um, campaign finance, and control the media and banks. 
Well, they don't control the, they control the media and banks because they own them. So if you own something, you do control it. And if people don't know, corporations, even banks, which are corporations, have more than one owner. So it is a conspiracy because it's a group of business owners that own one specific corporation. And if they fund lobbyists to change policy that might be detrimental to the citizens of the country but benefit that corporation, that indeed is conspiracy. And if a multitude of companies work at that same aim, it is definitely a conspiracy. The overarching conspiracy is a class conspiracy. It's the super wealthy um, that seek wealth and power for various means that are trying to keep other people from undermining their power. So we're going to end it here with the talking heads. And we're going to listen to Mark Strassman scare us with a report on the nationwide COVID-19 case surge. And then we'll hear from FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. An illegal curfew, 10 o'clock curfew, we're not going to abide by it. It's ridiculous. Dakota has the world's highest mortality rate per capita, per capita, per capita, per capita. But reaction to the new mandatory mask is against the rights of the people constitutional. Well, it's unconstitutional. A Dallas area food bank gave away 5,000 Thanksgiving turkeys. 26 million Americans report money miseries and missed meals as 2020 draws to a close. That's three times greater than last year's average. The CDC here in Atlanta reports that death totals for 2020 are higher than normal in every state of the country. You're saying hospitals are going to get overwhelmed. Hospitals have a lot of ability to create new beds. They've, they've figured out how to surge capacity. Where they're going to get overwhelmed, where they're going to get stretched is on personnel. What we were able to do during the spring wave and then again the wave in the summer was surge healthcare personnel into those regions to backstop the hospitals yeah. to allow them to create new beds. So the hospitals can create new beds. And there you have Scott Gottlieb telling you that um, we can adapt. We can adapt to this crisis. Um, you know, people are getting sick, people are dying. Um, but as we saw in the spring, they brought the hospital ship in to New York City. They retrofitted the Jacob Javits Center, and it wasn't needed. All the ventilators that Cuomo was uh, crying about, he didn't need all those ventilators. And now we know that using a ventilator is, is one of the worst things you could do for some of these patients. So let's go on to uh, Mark Whitaker and Luke Burbank um, as they weave together how evil the United States is 
because of some things that happened in its past. The history of Chinese Americans in the West is almost as old as the American West itself. In the 19th century, tens of thousands of Chinese, mostly men, came to work on the railroads or in mining, but they weren't always so welcome. Starting in like the 1870s and onwards, there was huge waves of anti-Chinese violence. You know, there were shootings, there were beatings, there was there was lynchings. Shootings, there were beatings, there was there was lynchings. Shootings, there were beatings, there was there was lynchings. Shootings, there were beatings, there was lynchings. The hatred culminated in the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. It was the first time, actually, in American history, that the concept of illegal immigration was introduced. One of the ways Chinese immigrants got around the law was the so-called Lomain loophole, which allowed restaurant workers into the country. From 1910 to 1930, the number of Chinese restaurants quadrupled. Today, there are more Chinese restaurants than McDonald's. To cater to local tastes, Chinese restaurants in America created a cuisine quite distinct from the food in China. For instance, chop suey. Wheat and sour shrimp, fried rice and noodles. I like their noodles. Chop suey. Wheat and sour shrimp, pork fried rice and noodles. I like their noodles. The word chop suey in Mandarin is da sui, which means basically odds and ends. Like, you know, this is what, like, you know, emperors ate. There were shootings, there were feedings, there was lynching. Today, the Pekin Noodle Parlor still proudly serves Thank up you. its chop suey, along with all sorts of other time-honored favorites. Sweet and sour shrimp, pork fried rice, and noodles. I like their noodles. It's southern, and it's finger-licking good. You may or may not fully understand it, but get into it. For Samuelson, getting into black food starts with understanding its history. So he introduces us to one of the field's preeminent writers, Jessica B. Harris. How would you describe the influence that the black cooking tradition has had on American cooking in general? Well, I think it's difficult to even conceive of the vastness. Harris says that influence begins with some of the staples of Southern cooking that actually arrived with enslaved Africans. Watermelon. Black-eyed peas. You get strange things that arrive here via the African continent. Peanuts. Add to that the critical know-how for a food as essential to the South as rice. The rice-growing knowledge came from West Africa. Hmm. <laughs> from which the people were enslaved. And you can find posters that say, slaves newly arrived from, and that was sort of like a euphemism for, these folks know how to grow rice. Tell us about the black chefs who fed the founding fathers. <laughs> 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 well, there are two of them that we talk about a lot. Hercules Posey was George Washington's enslaved chef. He was reputed to be a dandy. The first celebrity chef. Absolutely. And probably the most famous of the early runaways. Infuriated Washington. When Thomas Jefferson represented the U.S. at the French court of Louis XVI, he sent for his enslaved chef, 
James Hemmings. Hemmings is in their kitchens learning French cuisine and then eventually petitions for his freedom, which Jefferson grants grudgingly. Grudgingly. Enslaved or free, cooking ham for others, pig's feet for themselves. Samuelson says the vast majority of black cooks work for little reward or credit. See you next week.